one one thing incidentally when I was looking at the application process to give to chiropractic college um, a couple of things that happened my my dad I remember telling him I was like I don't think I can do this I don't know if I'm smart enough to handle all that because the workload is so intense it's 30 credit hours a semester and the first year and a half is all sciences and so you're in neurophysiology cell physiology gross anatomy uh, spinal anatomy biochemistry that's just the first semester that workload is I think 28 or 32 or something like that which before I was I was working and going to college so I was typically at 10 to 12 credits in a semester while I work full-time so very intimidating I remember telling my dad I don't know if I can do this I don't know what to do and he's like well you can end up like me working this kind of job where I'm locked in and I have to complete this thing, which he thought at the time, where he was in a job he hated with his entire being. And, or you can try, and at least you know you gave everything you had and knew that you couldn't do it after you had attempted it. Otherwise, it'll haunt you the rest of your life and you'll end up somewhere like I am. And that was the most important thing I could ever have heard, because I, I knew he hated his job. And I knew he hated more than anything. He hated the politics. It wasn't so much the job. And I was like, okay, fair enough. But then around the same time period, a girl that I had dated who was in med school at that point, she was getting ready to go into uh, more of a formal discipline of being a transplant doctor, organ transplant doctor. In my opinion, she was massively intelligent always had the straight A's and she coasted through college didn't put anything into it that type of thing and she saw my class load so she'd already been into med school I think second or third year and she saw my schedule of work and she was looking at the semesters and she goes what is this and I said what <laughs> she goes your classes and I said well that's the first second third semester she goes, there's no way that this is what you take. And I go, why not? And she goes, because this is more than I took. And so not only was that highly intimidating, because I respect, to this day, I respect her because I know how brilliant she is, but it made me understand that what I was about to endeavor on was no joke. And she said, well, either it is what it is or it's a lot easier than what I had to do. And I'm thinking... Well, it's physiology, so I mean, you can't really change the rules of physiology for the sake of whether it's a medical school or chiropractic college. And then I learned later on that there were quite a few things that we, as chiropractors, were trained in, which was largely with x-ray, diagnosis, anatomy, you know, a lot more stuff that was just more pertinent for our discipline and our particular profession. Obviously, they go into pharmacology and they learn about toxicology and a, and a finer level so it's relative but it was also a double stroke of like cool I'm doing something she's actually a little jaw dropped by but then at the same time I'm like holy crap if she's saying that what am I getting into so it was like this boost and this fear factor that went up so then I, I go into the school I get accepted and I complete my prerequisites and, and I got to the point where it was on the game is beginning the next part of my life has started at 24 I think it was and it was super exciting because it was like I was completing something I was meant to do and I always will feel like that I was always meant to be a chiropractor I was always meant to see people 
in that capacity and and it's the foundation of everything I've ever done is my education in that chiropractic model because it's so simple but at the same time just able to reach so many aspects of health and support it and not to mention the mindset that a chiropractor typically has one that's usually a very maverick and questioning mindset of any if anything I got into school and in my first semester I studied my ass off I didn't realize until I got into chiropractic college at the 30 credit load that I didn't understand how to study because I was seeing people all around me pull straight A's and I'm struggling to do B's and I'm spending a ton of time studying so I didn't know my my methodology that helped me the best and even to this day it's got to be a certain way otherwise I just don't learn the information but the beauty of it was is I did better in that first semester than I'd ever done in any part of my schooling previously so it was like this massive boost like I'm, I'm doing what I need to be doing and then I knew the next semester was going to be very hard it was supposed to be one of the hardest if not the hardest and, and I did all right I got you know I got through it unscathed and I I pulled decent grades and then by my third semester after 30 credit hours every semester so the first year you've already gone through 90 credit hours which is just what a bachelor's is 120 so basically I'm one year shy of a bachelor's degree in a year so it's accelerated for sure that was my boy but that third semester is what got me because I was starting to get exhausted and you're doing labs let alone just the classes you're also doing the labs that go with the classes and in all honesty I was starting to feel the weight and when I got to my last semester or my last group of tests for the semester trimester some of those courses had to be B's in order to pass the course you couldn't pass with a C and it basically ended up that I had to pass every one of my finals with A's in order to get through most of my classes because of this higher stringency on the courses and there was nothing but do or die burn the ships and you're there there's nothing you can do except fight so I got to it and I stayed up three nights straight so 72 hours straight and I finally figured out my way or method of studying that stuck with me and I aced all my finals and I in my life never aced many finals but I got A's on all finals like I actually achieved something I had no clue I could even do in one of the worst semesters in my opinion that was the worst semester because there was actually more difficult courses for my brain so I, I achieved something that I proved to myself that I was smart enough I was worthy I was capable I had to figure out my way it was hard and somehow I could stay up 72 hours without hallucinating it was crazy and I slept I think I slept between classes or something I was sleeping like half an hour between tests and studying or whatever I think I slept in, in naps and then I get back up and I just study for the next test I couldn't believe I did that it was crazy and the, the way I learned was I wrote out all of my <laughs> every one of my notes from every class on note cards anything I could draw a, a question from I would just write it on a note card and then I would write the answer on the other side of the note card 
I would lay them all out in the living room. So there's probably a hundred note cards or whatever. And then I would read a question and then I would put the answer on the floor. And then I'd have to go find the answer on the floor, like playing match. Isn't that simple, simplistic? <laughs> but then I started remembering, oh, that's the answer. And I could remember where the answer was, cataloging it, I guess, maybe. That's how I aced those tests. So anyway, I, there was a lot of revelation of my, my potential inside was largely untapped or unrealized. And I had been minimizing myself and dismissing my possibilities, which is always something I think most of us do in one way or another. To this day, I, I still have those things that I have to fight and struggle with. Paid my dues there, got out, and then went into practice. I took over for a guy who he had hurt himself, and so I took over for him, bought him out. That took about five years to kind of get that all sorted and taken care of. Actually, no, it was, took about, yeah, I, I was in that practice for about 10 years. And I was doing corrective care, which means that we're looking at how do we strengthen the, the muscles that hold the spine. As much as the spine is in its own position, the muscles are a part of that movement. So how do you use both? And how do you stabilize people longer so they're not always in pain or not always having to get adjusted, but how do you maximize time in between and make them more capable which I love because it, it kind of takes you a step or two above the average chiropractor who's just adjusting people for pain it's great that they get adjusted but at the same time it's not the it's only addressing a component of several things so in, in chiropractic they teach you about the subluxation which is jargon for a misaligned vertebra causing nervous system interference it's pinching your nerves or it's interfering with movement that interferes with the nervous system. And so when you talk about that, that's one part of it. So it's definitely mechanical and causing those issues. But they talk about how chemicals, toxins, and stress, physical trauma, and stress, these things all cause um, the subluxation or the misalignments to happen. So stress being just how you think, you know, forward head posture, shoulders down and, or up and tight. Toxins being inflammation and, and the abundance of inflammation from foods we eat to drugs and medications. Emotions, thoughts, traumas, toxins. The three T's. Traumas being physical, they can also be emotional. Things that would cause you to carry a trauma throughout your life because you never got like me getting jumped. I'm pretty sure that there's some damage to my neck when I got kicked in the face. Mm -hmm. I'm not pretty sure I know there was. I mean, the description in the courtroom was my head went back, my body flew back off of the fours and landed and moved. None. I just did not move after I, you know, landed backwards. So I'm pretty sure, you know, there's a few problems in my spine from that. But those things are all separate and so the adjustment is super important it keeps the the area of the most misaligned area moving or moving better but then that's where it kind of stops and so for some people it's like myself chiropractic was also well, how do we how do we make things work better how do we make the muscles work better and how do we get those joints to move smoother how do we get the nervous system to coordinate that area better because that's what we really care about is nervous system integrity control and its ability to maintain your body at its best. 
and then there's the toxin component, which can can be anything really. But how do you handle that if you're not talking about what people are eating, what's in and out of their body, what are their specific issues? Then you're really not handling all three of those tenets of chiropractic that causes health problems at the end of the day. And so I've always had a problem with that. And coming back from my nutrition and bodybuilding background, that component was also missing. So I filled, I filled it in with people and stood on their shoulders and figured out ways to improve on what, what I knew I thought was congruent with getting people better in a reasonable amount of time. But then the toxin component, I always kind of just said, well, take these things and watch what you eat. Don't eat carbs, don't eat boxed foods and that kind of thing. And it, it, was, it was superficial at best, but I also didn't want to touch it because I didn't like the idea of being a dispensary for a ton of supplements. I'm like, man, I don't know your physiology from one person to the next. I don't have your tests. I don't have nutrition tests or blood tests or hormone tests telling me anything about anything, and I wasn't interested in it at that time. When I became interested in it was when I ran into a friend of mine who's a very dynamic chiropractor, and she was... She's a very powerful person. And she told me, she, we were sitting in a seminar and she said, do you know you can reverse diabetes? And I looked at her and I said, no, I, I guess I never thought about it. I never thought about it at, at any time. To me, it was something that you acquire and it's permanent and you're, you're screwed. That's just the end of it and that's all you can do. Watch out. And that's the other world's realm, the other world of medicine not chiropractic care but medical support and she said yeah you can reverse it you can change it you can I go okay, I guess that makes sense I mean for me simplistically thinking well yeah if you just start stop sucking down Twinkies and Mountain Dews you'll probably be all right but um but then I, I knew what she was saying which was it could be a little more powerful than just obviously changing how you eat like there's probably other things being missed or unseen I instantly took a, because of my background, and I have family members with diabetes, I was like, huh. So she told me to go listen to some people that were in the forefront of that, and their their entire practices were built on the functional medicine, diabetic, and thyroid model. And so functional medicine being an approach to an individual's healthcare, specifically gearing the, the lack in their physiology, their nutrients, their vitamins, maybe even their genetics, toward improving upon where they're at with the right foods for them specifically, not a generality, the right supplements again for them specifically, not just general supplements, all built around really thorough testing, really thorough understanding of that person in front of you. And so when I heard them speak, it was basically like, generally speaking, you will see people reverse, get off these drugs, and not have to even be on this stuff that's killing them over time. And at that point I was in, like I was just like, oh my God. Cause I knew about family members. I just was like, yeah, I, it was my grandparents. I knew that there was no changing them. They were gonna continue cooking everything in vegetable oil and you know, bread's good for you. And I was like, there's no way I can change them. But then it really made sense. And so they got into the the model of support for thyroid patients and diabetic patients and I'd already been learning a little bit about it but then I jumped in 
full bore and started actually understanding how to get to that process of finding the person's individual reasons for their own suffering and their own diseases and then taking what you get and not focusing on the diagnostics, not focusing on the symptoms, but focusing on all of the things that weren't being fixed that should be fixed anyway, whether they're symptoms or not. So it was, it was kind of like I was 10 years into practice and I'd done a lot of work at that point with corrective care, but this missing component of chiropractic that had always bothered me, because everyone talks about it, but they skirt around it. And if they don't skirt around it, they don't kind of just tiptoe around it, they sell a thousand supplements to people, and, and that didn't interest me, because I just feel like you're kind of a, I don't know, I mean, I, I know it's necessary, but it's a fine line between perception of being a supplement peddler I never have enjoyed that model I don't enjoy walking into offices that have cupboards and cupboards of supplements sitting out I just I think it's tacky you know it's kind of like hey come get your magic bullets so when I saw this and it was actually application behind how and what you would give for supplements you know why that made sense then it feels good then I don't have a problem telling people what they should or shouldn't be having based on their own particular physiology and knowing that I didn't just give the last person the same thing that I gave the one that's sitting with me currently. So one person to the next, there's always something being pushed in one direction or the other. So she changed when Grace had told me about all this stuff. And I listened to him, and then I met with them privately, the, uh, the business management group that had basically told me about what they do it changed how I saw what I wanted to do in practice, but not take over the chiropractic side of things. I wanted it to be comprehensive. Mm -hmm. So it finally fit into that 3T model of thoughts, traumas, and toxins. And I was finally handling the toxins and nutrition and all that stuff. But then eventually it evolved into a lot of those people are like, they're not expecting a chiropractor to tell them, hey, you have reasons for diabetes that are not being seen or diagnosed. You're not even being checked. They're not expecting a chiropractor to read blood work or hormone work or any of that stuff because that chiropractors can only do this. Well, in fact, you have health coaches right now all over the country who are interpreting blood work for their clients, helping them reverse any condition or just lose weight. But at the end of the day, the world is changing and it's changing fast. 10 years ago, or no, I guess 2012, sorry, sorry, that was seven years ago, is when I really took on and, and took this model and the functional medicine model is so powerful and, and quickly blowing up so that people are actually finding out that they have a chance, which happens to lead into the diabetic deception book that we wrote and put together, which was mainly to talk about the frustrations of patients, what they see, what they go through, current model of care, what options they have, possibilities for even supplements, even if they don't do anything about it, some things that might help them stabilize blood sugars. But that book puts together the entire current model of how if you're a diabetic, you can only take medications, watch what you eat, lose weight, and exercise. And take that idea and say, bullshit, you can do way more than that. You can fix it and many times reverse it to the point at which you're not even on medication. That's what all of this has culminated to.
the functional medicine training turns into uh, how do you approach a case? How do you read blood work? And if you want to take a decent panel, how do you interpret those based on functionality or maybe an optimal impression rather than one that's based on a standard range out of a laboratory that's only seeing sick people? So there's this idea that maybe human beings shouldn't be averaged altogether and maybe we should be looking at the best and healthiest and the most uncompromised human shells and use those as the standard in which to reach and, and bring other people up to rather than throwing everybody, but mostly sick people, into a standard and then saying, well, we all fit in here somewhere, but as long as you're not in these outer regions, you probably don't have any diseases. How about we look at where is the least incidence of morbidity and mortality and find those points instead of a standard that's just based on one person's 85 years old with diabetes and hypothyroidism and the next patient's 35 with no problems and then they're just averaged together that doesn't do anything for anybody doctors patients and all of humanity the functional chemistry blood chemistry is based on an ideal anything from a CBC test, metabolic test, inflammatory tests like C-reactive protein and homocysteine to a full iron panel, four tests, not just one, not just iron, hemoglobin A1C, which is an okay test. I mean, it gives you an idea of where blood sugars are at, but it's, there are better tests out there. But using those collectively, looking at liver function and have an idea for liver function to be at its best, not just getting by. I had one patient, their, her liver test, she was somewhere, her en enzymes are somewhere in the hundreds. And the uh, specialist that saw her said, eh, you don't have any symptoms, you don't feel bad, I don't see anything else on your tests, don't worry about it. It's literally a tenfold increase of what they should be. But there's nothing wrong? How, did, how do you just turn your cheek? Well, the reason is, is because they're in triage care. They're looking for the most severe things first, and then anything else below that, that's not an immediate death or gonna die in the next year, eh, we'll wait and see. Let's see how bad the fires get before we actually start putting them out. That's what the chemistry, the functional blood work, or I'm sorry, the functional medicine uh, analysis is. So that goes from hormone testing to stool testing to blood chemistries, but almost across the board, you'll find that all of the testing is way more thorough, way more thorough at least two to three times more thorough in volume and information than your average CBC and metabolic tests, if you're lucky enough to get both of those. So the functional chemistry comes in and takes a look at it so that you can have an idea of how well can we make this patient, not how do we get them into this mid-range. So tell me about, um, tell me about your, one of your first patients your mother tell me about that story so she um, she was feeling not right she didn't she she gained a bunch of weight about 10 15 years ago 14 years ago over about a two-year period she gained probably 30 or 40 pounds she's 5'1 probably at, at the most weighs 115 to 120 when she's was at her healthiest and all of a sudden she's pushing into the 140 150 range out of nowhere. And it was a slow progress, and so this is 2002 to, two, I'm sorry, 2003 to 2004 that I started noticing it. 
I kind of, I remember we would kind of talk and I'd look at my sister and I'm like, let's, you know, what's going on with mom? And I mean, shoot, at the time she was only 49, she, you know, not really aged by any means. She shouldn't have gained weight out of normal like this. And I was just recently into practice and not, not trained in functional medicine or, or doing that kind of work whatsoever. So time goes on and come 2012, roughly eight years later, she suffered at the, the hands of the fires that hit the northern Colorado Rocky Mountains here. My parents were actually one of the first houses that actually got hit by that. I think they were at the mouth of the fire, the entrance point for the fire, um, within just a few hundred yards. So they were one of two or three houses, I think, that were first hit. And they were actually, their house was on national news from a helicopter. And so when that all was said and done, their house didn't get burned down, but they had to have it renovated. And it took about six months to get it fully renovated, all their clothes, all the stuff that they do to go back and clean that up. It's a huge process. She lost all of that weight in about a three-month period. Anyone that knows anything about physiology is like, when you lose 30 or 40 pounds for no apparent reason, no change in diet, no change in exercise or day-to-day habits, it's a bad, bad sign. And hopefully it's not some cancer or something like that, but she encountered that. And I wasn't paying attention. And I was, at that point, in the initial stages of my training for functional medicine. But this is one of those things that just hadn't come up yet. So 2012, 2013, she starts telling me she doesn't feel right, she feels off. And I was always telling her, well, just you know, make sure you're eating every few hours and make sure you're not eating any refined stuff. Get your sleep. That was a big thing with her. It always been a huge thing with her is her inability to get to sleep at a decent hour since I was a kid. So she basically says, I need you to take a, I need you to look at my blood work. You, something's wrong. So I'm like, okay, we'll look at it. So I get the test back and I, my jaw dropped and I cried because I couldn't believe how many things were wrong on her test. Her A1C was a 14, which shouldn't be any higher than really in the allopathic model. They say 5.7 is fine. And then after that, you get to about 6.0, you're pre-diabetic. And then 6.5, you're a diabetic. She's at 14. That means her blood sugars are sky high routinely in the 300, maybe 400 range. And then she has her, all her iron is through the roof. So she has hemochromatosis and then she has um, thyroid issues. And then her liver, of course, was just a mess. Her cholesterol numbers were screwed up because of all the blood sugar issues. And suffice it to say that I was scared as hell that she was gonna have a heart attack or die or something, especially with the weight loss. I didn't know what it all meant. I mean, I did, but I, I was just flabbergasted because it was right in my face and I had just begun the functional medicine work. And so, we began the process and we started working on her and figured within the first month, I think we saw about a two point drop, I think a four point drop. When people are really high like that on their numbers, it's fun because you can see really large changes. You can see them drop down their, their sugar capacity, their, their load of sugar is way down within just a few weeks typically. And so she dropped, I think down to 10 that first test. And then I ran my third test a few months later, like the third month. 
no, it was probably actually the eighth week. Got her down to, I think, a six and a half, which is officially just becoming diabetic. And then we got her down to 5.8 or 9, I believe. So nearly non-diabetic numbers, just in the pre-diabetic range. Her iron normaled out. We ended up seeing her liver completely normal out, her enzymes, her cholesterol, everything went to just about normal ranges considering where they had started, completely reversing everything that I saw six months earlier. And so when we saw that whole thing happen, I mean, and she was a perfect ideal patient, it was awesome because it, it solidified for me the power that the body has to heal itself if you just help it in the right direction. You don't push it into submission with medications unnecessarily. I mean, if your insulin is 800, it's a good thing that you have insulin probably to help you bring that down because you're probably going to have a heart attack or something. But outside of that, we got 29 million diabetics and 79 million diabetic pre-diabetics. Pretty sure most of those people could have a lot more help outside of here. Just take some metformin and some lisinopril and some blood pressure medications or some cholesterol medications right out the gate. They give people, typically, they, they start them on metformin. It's the number one selling diabetic drug. And then they ease them in and then six months, a year or two years go by and then they're on the next drug or a higher dosage, whatever it is. And there's this never ending roller coaster ride of drug after drugs. So with her, she never had to go on those. And in fact, what's even more bizarre is your blood sugar, you're more likely to have much more severe problems if your blood sugars are up and down all the time rather than just high all the time. So we do have patients that we've seen that they're in the three or 400 range, but we get them down to the 150 to 200 range, but they're consistently low versus going from 70 to 400 or 70 to 300. They're more like 120 to 150 or 120 to 180. So those keeping you at a lower risk because there's not those highs and lows that you see. The more highs and lows, the more damage and potential for other issues to come up there are. So with her, it was a solidifying point of understanding what I was doing was saving lives. Anyone else would have just put her on medications and, and not really seen anything improve. But this was like, holy crap, so it comes full circle. Or, you know, I'm this little kid who's, if I, I didn't mention I'm, you know, if I eat sugar, I, I'm a little kid. I'm throwing it up usually an hour later. That's crazy, and she was the one that figured it out. She figured out that if I have any processed sugar, I'd get a migraine headache, which is why I had to have protein and meat in fourth grade in order to get through the morning, mid-morning time. Every couple hours, I needed to eat. Otherwise, I would start getting super hypoglycemic and sick, and those meats and fats helped me become actually a little more keto-based, <laughs> keto before keto. She figured that out all the way back then time went on, the practice took on more and more functional medicine-based patients as a focus. And for me, it's, I think it's just my focus was in the education and the work and, and then our outreach and marketing and all that stuff is just supporting that. So right now, when we, we are doing that, that's at least 90, 95% of what I do in practice. So I'm not just dabbling in it here and there. 
I mean, this is completely what I've been doing for the last seven years. Almost half my practice life has been spent in functional medicine now, as I've been in practice 17 years. So there, there's a lot of people out there that are doing it, and I think you can do a little bit of this work and still do great things. Everyone thinks that you have to have 10 certifications, and you have to have X, Y, and Z. In all reality, a lot of this comes down to you fix some very basic issues, and you'll start seeing things go in the right direction. It's nothing sexy, it's somewhat obvious. Uh, there are some intricacies that aren't obvious and they are individual. That's what makes functional medicine so great is it can pinpoint those things and so you can get better results. Now that said, if, if you only improve three things out of 10 that are problems, whereas before nothing else would have been improved, you're doing a hell of a lot of great things. So whether you're just starting in this work or 20 years into it, whatever it is. I, I really don't see that anyone that does it as a, you're always going to see some improvement just by changing how people eat and helping them understand that they can't, they can't eat the keto diet just because it helped their friend lose much weight. That may not work for them. And there's reasons for that, whether they're hormonal and trophic issues or are they allergies and are they leaky gut or are they dysbiosis, whatever it is. The functional medicine allows you to expand into bigger areas, deeper areas. What is your favorite achievements in working in the functional medicine model? I don't think it's any one. I think what's satisfying about it is I typically am not intimidated by any patient with a group of problems or symptoms or a diagnosis. There are instances where it's, there's too many collective things that prevent them from being able to get where they want. Like if they're smoking every day, there's just way too many inflammatory and brutal issues that I'm not intimidated by the problems they've got, like lupus. I'm not intimidated by the fact that they can't give up something that's just, it's like putting a bullet in their mouth. That's hard. When someone walks in with MS, the MS patients that I've seen, I had two in the same week begin care. And to me, that's just, it's an immune system disease. If I can improve the immune system response by 30%, I'm happy. Like that is a huge change. And we see that. And those, both those patients within the first two months improved linearly, which shocked me. Like I didn't expect to see those women both improve in a very similar fashion in very different ages, very, very different ages. That was cool. That was, I was like, holy crap, how many more people could be seeing functional medicine doctors and improve MS? That's this big, what the heck is going on problem. Or Alzheimer's. When you can identify a handful of problems when, you, when you're in the Alzheimer's arena or cognitive decline, and you just begin putting in a couple of things to improve on it, you may not fix it all. But if you already changed what's going on by, if you can help them by 30%, you're changing lives in such a huge direction. Compared to anything else that's available to them, that's jaw-dropping. I can't imagine losing my life 60 or 70 years old and then thinking I'm okay. That's the worst part of that. You know, watching some of the videos, some of these women that have, one of them was only maybe 50, and she couldn't even perform her tasks as an executive. This wasn't a patient of mine. This was actually a patient that I'd seen with the uh, Institute for Functional Medicine. And what had happened was that she 
I think she was losing her ability to perform as an executive and I want to say she was home uh, homebound. Started doing the work and I think three to six months into reversing her cognitive decline, recalled how to speak Mandarin Chinese from like 20 years earlier in college. She was, she just started speaking and able to write it. She wasn't even, wasn't even attempting to, she just was able to do it. Where we expect that we have to like somehow force it out of our deep subconscious brain essentially and, and then retrieve those files, they're accessible. That's how duped we are, I think. It, it scared me too, because I was thinking, if I've been walking along the path of cognitive decline this whole time? So anyway, that those are the things that are inspiring. So you've helped countless people change their health and move it in the right direction. People with diabetes, with multiple sclerosis, with thyroid issues, with Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Graves disease, MS, lupus scleroderma. I had one patient, she had 13 autoimmune diseases. She had Crohn's, celiac, Sjogren's. I can't remember them all. And then I did more advanced testing on her and we found even more stuff mm -hmm. that she has being attacked. That was shocking. That was, basically it made me only understand one more thing, which was no matter how many things you find being destroyed in the body by the immune system, it doesn't matter at the end of the day because you have to put the fire out. Wherever mm -hmm. that fire starter is at, you gotta mm -hmm. find that and put it out or at least dim it down to a, a cool ember so it doesn't keep spreading. So you've helped all these people put their fires out for their health. What other transformations have you seen in their lives after they've been able to achieve their health goals? They're, they're typically their relationships improve dramatically. I have a patient right now that came in pretty sour. She's a pretty tough woman. I told her that. I told her to her face. I go, well, you're pretty hard. And, uh, and I told her, in order for your husband to not fall out of love with you, I would say soften up just a little bit. And I understand your, your diabetes right now is really messing with you. But if you want to lose everything, I, I go, if you're fine, if you're done with your marriage, then so be it. No, no point in moving forward. But if you'd like to see some days with him, you better change some things. And she agrees. She goes, yeah, that's why I'm here. So last week, she, she and her husband came in on, I think, Monday. And uh, I asked him, I said, so how's it going? What, you know, is she still being a hard ass or is she actually, you know, kind of doing well? And he said they went fishing for the first time. He said that, I think she caught a seven pound trout, a big trout. And he goes, this is the woman I married. Mm -hmm. This is the person I was with, I think, 17 years ago. In just a short two and a half, three week period. And I'm like, that, that to me is pretty awesome, just mm -hmm. for something in the immediate. It's stuff like that. It's, it's really, no one ever begins care because they know they need to be healthy. It's because they've lost something they need to regain, and they know that they've only got so much time to do so. Those are my favorite people. They'll do whatever it takes. So the, the funnest, like the MS case, the one MS case, she is 44. She was limping because of the MS. Her face would swell up like an orange. She would literally just swell up completely. Didn't know why. She would say words she didn't think she said. For instance, they were gibberish. They were babbling. She thought she said something and everyone was looking at her like, what did you just say? So there's a, there's a brain issue there. 
Anyway, within two months, she had reversed every one of these things. Her, her daughter's son remembered her limping and then pointed out to her she's no longer limping. That's crazy. I mean, you're starting the process of not even being mobile, slowly losing your ability to walk. That's a big deal. She's walking normal. Amazing. Awesome. Another guy, he was a diabetic. He was an MS, but loved hiking, and he would walk up the mountain, always outdo his younger friends. He was like 80-something. He was kind of a, uh, he was kind of a joker. But he started not being able to hike anymore because his gait would draw him over to the left. And his son, his, no, his nephew was a neurologist, and the guy was like, eh, it's part of your neuropathy. Sorry, just keep walking, try to do some exercises. So anyway, we got into, I think, about four or five weeks of, of our care, and he ended up, ended up walking straight. So the nerves started coming back, the blood vessels and all the stuff that feeds that start to heal and repair and reverse. So it's these collective small things that you see people fix, just a handful of things, and they get a lot of their life back, if not all of the things they want.